Welcome to the Builders Podcast, a production of the Lawrenson Center for Faith and Work at Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota. This podcast features the stories of builders, people who get their hands dirty making organizations, movements, and businesses. Kurt Russell, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we are honored to be here. We're actually, so we're in the Twin Cities right now, getting ready for an event to celebrate teachers. We're right down the uh, right down the road from Orchestra Hall. And I just can't tell you how much energy there is and excitement to have you here with us. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, it's always an honor and a pleasure just to be with teachers. And yeah. I feel the same excitement as well. Yeah. You know, it's it's a time when I feel like we really need to just uh, kind of zoom in on the important vocation work of, of teachers. Um, it, it's a time when our students are struggling, right? Like post-COVID. And it's a time when the culture is struggling around education. And so it's a great opportunity just to lift up the important work that someone like you is doing, especially as a history teacher, right? Because that's your area is history. Yes, it is. And like you said, that you know, there's a dark cloud over education today. Yeah. And I think it's so important for us to elevate and appreciate the hard work of teachers. Um, you know, as a history teacher, um, banning of curriculum and banning yeah. of books has been really a disappointment for me, but at the same time has really energized me, energized me uh, from the standpoint that I want to do the best I can for my students. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. And it's obvious from your students' testimony too, yeah. that they, you don't only intend it, but they feel it. You know, they feel yeah. the impact there. Talk a little bit about why you got into this field of teaching. Well, you know, it's interesting because it started because of three pictures, mm. three simple pictures, um, a picture of Martin Luther King Jr., um, President Kennedy, and Jesus. Mm. And my parents grew up in the South. And so every establishment uh, that we visited in the South, um, there was those three pictures. And I was so amazed about the stories of those individuals. I grew up in the church, so I knew yeah. Jesus. Um, but who was this Martin Luther King Jr.? And mm. who was this JFK? And this was the early 70s. Yeah. And interesting enough, my mother marched with Martin Luther King Jr., oh. And so she told us the story huh. about this short little man who was <laughs> so powerful and so energetic. And I fell in love with stories. And because of that, it was my kindergarten teacher, huh. Miss Francine Toss, hmm. who really was intentional about the work and allowed me to express myself. And she gave me the opportunity to share my story and my narrative. I was just going to ask you when— when when you first learned about who King was, was that the story that you just told? That like, was that's the story, yes. And it was early, early on. Like I said, line, maybe yeah. five or six years of age. Wow. What about Kennedy? How does yeah. he, where does he fit into that? You picture? know what? Yeah, with Kennedy, it was more of, of course, the civil rights movement. And yeah. so when you have Kennedy, you have Martin Luther King Jr., they are um, synonymous with one another. Um, but with Kennedy, it was important because— my mother always remember and told the story when Kennedy was assassinated mm. in 1963 and how Black America in the South was so disturbed and upset by that because huh. of Kennedy's um, relationship and his advocacy towards civil rights that LBJ yeah. picked up a little bit later. Yeah. So those— so now let's fast forward a little bit to your own classroom. Yes. And so you teach history, including American history. Yes, I yeah. teach history, uh, African-American history, a class I created, nice. race, gender, and oppression, mm -hmm. 
black music in the African diaspora, and mm-hmm. I teach IB, which is the International Baccalaureate Program. Okay. Um, that is a rigorous program that started around the 1960s. Okay, so that it's amazing that you get you're doing this in the high school setting, right? Yes, I am. Those are those are the kinds of classes you might want to find in a college too. Yes, you know, interesting content, amazing titles. How do you find your students? Like, are they engaged with these topics? How do they come into classes like that? I tell you what, so engaged. <laughs> I and, believe it. <laughs> um, I teach also. U.S. history. I love that class. It's a regular survey of U.S. history, but the courses that I created, you could see the energy and the excitement of my students mm-hmm. because they see themselves in the curriculum. And we talk about real world issues and we talk about current items and issues that affects them. And I think anytime where you feel a personal attachment, yeah, you are more engaged. That, that just that doesn't just ring true. That seems to be true in the educational research as well, right? Yes. So you're really trying to make that connection to the real world. Um, you, how many years have you been teaching? 25 years? 27. 27 years. Yeah, okay. 27 years. Time <laughs> yeah, is flying by. I think you reflected last night that you feel like the students that you have now are coming into the classroom differently, yeah. maybe, than they were when you were in your first or second year. Talk about the differences there. Yeah, I think— um, we have to really recognize and name trauma. Mm. Um, and because of COVID, I believe it has really exasperated the, yeah. the attitude um, and the emotion behind trauma, what kids are facing today. And from there, um, there's more social emotional learning that is taking place within my classroom. Something that I learned that if kids are not well, then they are not able to learn. So I have to make sure, number one, I check that box off, that they are able to learn because they are emotionally engaged. And in years past, of course, trauma was real, but it seems to me after COVID, things have changed. Yeah. And would you say that, thinking of sort of the hierarchy of needs, right? Like, would you say that sometimes it's basic needs issues like food, stable Housing, you know, just basic stuff that also contributes to that. And so how do you think about as a teacher? Like you can't obviously give all those things right to all your kids, but how do you think about teaching within that context? Yeah, I tell you what, and you are absolutely correct. Um, You know, I think about, did my kids have breakfast this morning? So I bring granola bars to make sure that they are, are not hungry. You know, when your stomach is growling, that's the one thing you are thinking of. You think about food. You're not thinking about the feralist versus the (laughs) anti-feralist, right? (laughs) And so we have to be honest with that. Um, And I also have to be honest that things happen over the weekend where Mm. kids might have lost a parent or they might have seen someone get injured or anything that might happen. So I always do this emotional check-in. Huh. Um, give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. How are you feeling today? If I get yeah. a lot of thumbs down, then I need to pause. Pause in my lessons to make sure that my students are well, and then we move forward. Well, and and I think, so you've got current traumas and sort of cross pressures that your students are facing, but you're also teaching content that has a lot of trauma, yes. you know, just in, in, involved in it. Yes. Uh, and that's everything from sort of indigenous peoples to enslaved Africans. So how do you think about the interplay between the trauma that your students are bringing and the stuff that the history is bearing witness yeah, to? Yeah, I have to make sure that I'm empathetic towards my students. And I have yeah. to make sure that I really make sure I understand their disposition for that particular day. Mm. And hence the thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, that's the thumbs up, thumbs down. And I also give my students an opportunity to leave the space of the classroom. They need Mm. to step outside because we are speaking about the trail of tears with indigenous people, or Mm. if we are dealing with 
um, the women's suffrage movement mm-hmm. and the brutality of women or enslaved Africans, it might touch home with someone. Yeah. And so they have a opportunity to step outside and to gather themselves. Um, instead of me as a teacher, just keep hammering that information, we pause and yeah. we reflect. And if we have to cry, if we have to scream, if we have to just be in silence, then we will do so. Yeah. You know, I got into teaching in the early 2000s. So this was Bush era. Yes. Uh, 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 no child left behind. Yes. In fact, so I, I came into student teaching with that whole kind of apparatus in place. I think you would have been teaching at the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember thinking as a young teacher, they are asking us to fill gaps or maybe address gaps that maybe educate the education system wasn't asked to address in the past. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if First of all, if you think that, that that trend continues, that teachers are more and more having to bear burdens that they didn't have to in the past, and like yeah. to what degree does that make your job all the more challenging? You know, teaching is hard. Yeah. Um, it's a very hard job because we wear so many hats. Yeah. Um, you know, we are fathers to some. We are mothers to others. Uh, we are guidance counselors. We are social workers. We are doctors and nurses, so forth and so on. Um, and so as an educator, it's so important for me to recognize that, even though it's difficult. And yeah. even though the job is hard, it is warranted. And it's a joy in being all of those things to yeah. students. Because at the end of the day, what is the prize? The prize is for students to be productive citizens. And that's what I try to get across in my classroom. Yeah, no, I love I love that description of the goal that really the prize, did you say prize? Yes, or, yeah, the, the goal prize. is productive citizens within this democracy. And I think yeah. history teachers like yourself have an especially important role to play there, right? Because you're talking yeah. about the history of this democracy and, and beyond. And uh, I have to imagine that your students wonder about the future of it too. All the time. Is All that the right? Time. Yeah. And, and we talk about um, the future based yeah. upon what we have just studied. And so it's important for, you know, my students not to be, you know, it's this buzzword that indoctrination has been mm. thrown out mm. so many times. And trust me, teachers do not indoctrinate students. Mm. What we do is provide students with facts mm. and we allow our students to think on their own. That's that critical thinking. Yeah. That's that ownership of their own learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when when you're in dialogue with your students, what are the big questions that that just keep coming up that you continue to wrestle with year after year? Yes, you know the the biggest question. Um, I'm sure you experienced this when you <laughs> was teaching as well. Why is this as important? You know, yeah. why are we studying this? Yes, um, yeah. you know, what is the impact? And so, as a history teacher, it's so important for me to really hone in on the impact of what we are studying in terms of historical evidence, how it relates to them yeah. and how it bridged the gaps between the past and the present. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, actually, this raises an interesting question. You just talked about the Federalist Papers, yes. right? So you could imagine, right? You're in your high school That's class right. and you're reading the Federalist Papers and you're just like, it's about ambition, pumping up against ambition. Yes. Why does that matter? <laughs> you know, Mr. Russell, why should we care about this? Yeah. So what's your response to something like that where you're like, you're looking at these old documents. You're like, mm-hmm. this stuff doesn't matter. These, you know, some of these people thought really differently about slavery yes. than, we, than we did right now. Why should we even listen to them? Because it still <laughs> shapes our current society, uh, right? Yeah. It still shapes. Even the old document, the Declaration of Independence, right? right. That little phrase, you know, all men are yeah. created equal. So let's examine that. 
right? And let's talk about that as well. Um, like you say, the feralists and anti-feralists, um, their position in terms of a strong central government or a strong state government, things we are still wrestling with even today. Yeah. So you as a teacher, part of your job is to persuade them yes. that the content matters. Yes, yes, the content <laughs> matters. I th I'd say that's true from my experience too, that there are, there are really key questions that it just takes a little bit of time mm -hmm. to make that case. Yes. But eventually, if you, if you do it well, then you can make the case and realize, oh, this thousands-year-old or hundreds-year-old document actually matters for how I live and am a citizen today. Yes, and, and the joy of teaching is when three weeks or four weeks down the line, <laughs> that student will bring up something we have studied. Like, now I see that connection. Interesting. Yes, now I see the connection yeah. of the Articles Confederation yeah. to our current government, and yeah. that will bring us joy. Yeah. What is, I have to imagine American history is one of these things where, you know, kind of controversial topics come up frequently. Like, how do you think about your own role in that space when you have maybe disagreements within the classroom? And, and what are some of those topics where you do see a lot of like sharp disagreement? Because you, your, your school, we should say, is pretty diverse. Yes, it is. Um, a lot, uh, about half students of color, a, a large number of white students. And so I have to imagine that there are issues that come up yeah. in that space. I tell you what, what better way to learn yeah. than to have discourse and to have conversation and to debate? And so I welcome that in my classroom. Um, the first couple of days of school, we create norms not necessarily huh. rules, but norms that we will all abide by. And that really shapes the classroom in terms of allowing us to have those conversations. So, of course, some of the hot topics that we study in my race, gender, and oppression class, um, we study Stonewall, mm. um, the LGBTQ yep, yep. movement. And there was an article that we read. And after each unit, I always have my students watch a TED Talk or we read an article that deals with the particular topic. Yeah. And this particular um, TED Talk dealt with, should trans athletes participate in sports? Oh, sure. Right. Hot topic, right? Yeah, and for sure. students in the classroom uh, was half and half debating that particular topic. Yeah. But we learned yep. and we grew and it's okay to agree to disagree. And I think a lot of times we are afraid to disagree. As long as we do it in a respectful manner, yeah. it's okay. As long as it does not harm human rights. Right. And so my students recognize that human rights, uh, making sure that everyone is treated equally and fairly um, under the law is the most important thing that we could have. Well, and really you are, you're developing democratic skills, yes. right? And, and those democratic skills of kind of respectful debate around the norms, you know, that you talked about yes. earlier, there's, there's so few spaces, I feel like, in our democracy where that is not just allowed, but encouraged, right? Certainly within the social media space, like that is not encouraged. No, at all. not there's, at all. There's like no incentive, <laughs> almost no incentive to do it that way. Yeah. But in your classroom, you're actually trying to make space for those skills to be Honed. Yeah, and what better way and what better space than within the schools? Yeah. Um, no, instead of someone learning in the streets where it might not be truthful, mm. um, let's learn in the classroom. And I'm glad you mentioned social media, right? A lot of our <laughs> students receive information on social media, which is not truthful. Right. Most of the time. A lot of times. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. No, that's right. Yeah. But allow us to have a safe space within our schools for yeah. kids to learn. So this uh, this podcast is called Builders, and mm -hmm. part of the reason we call it that is we we try to engage people who are building different organizations or capacities within people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would I want to know education's in a tough spot right yes. now. It has been it really has been for a long time, mm -hmm. right? Like we're we're at what feels like a climax of 
what feels like decades in yeah. the works. And you can disagree with that, but mm-hmm. what do we need to do maybe right now to help rebuild, renovate our education system so that it works better for our kids? I tell you what, the first thing we need to do is really trust our educators. Okay. I'll really put emphasis that these individuals who work diligently each and every day, who works hard, um, who is faithful and loyal to the profession, that we give them the respect that is due to them. Um, They are the experts in the classroom and allow us to lean on them to reshape, to reimagine education because that's who they are. And I think if we start there um, and allow educators to sit at the table where policies are being made, major changes could happen and great changes could happen if we allow that to occur. Yeah. So far from your perspective, part of the solution is to make sure that the classroom teachers, people who have this experience in the classroom with our kids are at the table shaping at the, the policy. Table. And, yes, at the yeah. table shaping policies <laughs> and really recognize their expertise yeah. as well. Given the season, I guess I should ask, like, is this a tease for a presidential run? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally joking. <laughs> that was a good one. I don't no. have those skills. <laughs> I, actually, I disagree okay. with that. But part of me does think, though, on a more, on a more serious yes. note, that there is benefit in having teachers in those elected positions all, all through the system, right? Like yes. uh, uh, people who have education background in city council, yes. right? People have education background in, in governor's seats, and, and, et cetera. Yes. And, and I think there, there are a lot of skills that one gains in the classroom that I think transfer pretty well into political leadership, That's, probably, right? And, and the great thing about having educators at the table is that they understand that the sole purpose is to shape the future. Right. Right. To right. build that that legacy and to continue this great democracy that we all benefit from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Kurt, I am so grateful for the time that you've given us. Is there anything that you want to cover that we haven't talked about up to this point? Just want to say thank you so much. And I really do appreciate the hard work you are doing and Concordia um, College is doing and the great teachers here in the state of Minnesota. Kurt Russell, thanks for your time. Thank you. This podcast is a production of the Lawrenson Center for Faith and Work at Concordia College. To learn more about the Lawrenson Center, visit our website at lawrencecenter.com. Thank you for listening.